0: Good morning. Thank you all for being here. It's an encouragement and hopefully you'll be encouraged as well as we study God's word and worship an awesome God. For the next few minutes I'd like to talk a bit about God's amazing grace, but not going to do that or do anything before we first ask God for help in his guidance. So if you would, let's pray. Almighty Father in heaven, we're so very thankful for all that you've done for us, that you've given your son to die for us, that we might have salvation. We're so very thankful, for your, Father, for your word, and we ask that you give us the wisdom that we need to see your truth as you intend it. We ask, Father, for your guidance, for your direction, for your blessing. Just be with us, Lord, as we do this, for we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, George was a really good man, I mean a good man, and he dies and he goes to heaven and St. Peter meets him at the pearly gates. St. Peter says to George, well, here's how it works, George, you need 100 points to get into heaven, so you tell me all the good things you've done in your life and I'll give you a certain number of points based on how good they really were. When you reach 100 points, you get in. Okay, George says, well, let me think. Well, I was married to the same woman for 50 years, and I was always faithful. St. Peter says, you know, that's really admirable. For that, you get one point. Well, George was a little taken back by that, and he thought, you know, this may be tougher than I thought. So he thinks, and he says, well, I worked for the same firm for 42 years, and I always put in an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. St. Peter says, Well, you know, that's also very admirable. For that, you get one point. George is getting a little desperate here, and he's thinking, Wow, you know, I might be in trouble. And he says, Well, well St. Peter, you know, sometimes, and he's getting desperate here, he says, Sometimes when the regular preacher was out, I sometimes filled in and preached on Sunday morning. St. Peter says, Well, George, I've heard your sermons. But for trying, I'll, I'll give you one point. Let's see, that brings your total up to three points. Well, George is just exasperated. He is just, just dumbfounded. And he says, three points. At this rate, the only way I'll get into heaven is by God's grace. St. Peter says, bingo, that's 100 points. Come on in. We know that no matter what we do that's good in this world, we don't get points, we don't merit our salvation. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and following, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. We can't boast. We're not in a position to boast. It's God's grace, and it's only God's grace that gets us to where we want to go. Before we go further, let's... Uh, define grace. Someone distinguished between mercy and grace in the following way. They said, mercy, that's where you don't get what you do deserve. And grace, that's where you do get what you don't deserve. And I thought those were really good definitions. Grace, what we do get that we don't deserve. It's God's grace that saves us, and it's God's grace that's so powerful that enables that to happen. We read about that in Colossians 1, verse 13. It says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I don't know about you, but I know myself pretty well. I know my shortcomings, And to think that God gave his son to die for me just boggles my mind. Jesus is hanging on the cross for me. And I know that if I was the only sinner that had ever lived or ever would live, that he would hang on that cross for me. And when I realize that, I cry out and I said, Lord, don't do it. Don't suffer for me. I'm not worth it. Let me go wherever I need to go. But don't do this. Please don't. And his answer is no. I have to. I want to. I want you. I love you. When I think about his love and power that keeps him on the cross, my heart melts. My heart changes. And we understand that God has the only power to change hearts. It's God's grace that changes hearts and when you change hearts everything else falls into place. His grace is rooted in his amazing love for us and it's the most powerful force in the universe. Being an engineer I'm always looking for the practical side of things just about everything. So what does God's power through his grace mean to me? What's the practical application? Well, it's easy to see God's power is more God's grace is more powerful than sin. Sin is something that we deal with every day. I know I do. I know I fail. And when we fail, it's discouraging, isn't it? But Romans 6:14 tells us for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin may knock us down, but God's grace enables us to get back up again. Through his grace, he forgives our sins. He enables us to walk hand in hand with the master through life. And he will never let us go. God's grace is abundant. We read in Romans chapter 5 verse 20, The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased grace abounded all the more the law defined all of the things that we shouldn't do it showed us that there is no way in and of ourselves to be righteous and it showed it, showed us that we need desperately god's grace and we need plenty of it we see much wickedness in the world today and it's very very sad i'm sure it troubles you Again, sin seems to be winning. People are calling good evil and evil good. But if we think that, that sin is winning, we're only seeing part of the picture. We're not seeing the whole picture. God's grace is abundant and it's sufficient. All too often we see the forces of darkness and their advances, but what we don't see is that the forces of light are on the march. When Elisha and his servant were surrounded by the enemy, and we read about this in 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha told his servant, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, and the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. At times we feel like we're surrounded The news today is full of stories where Christians seem to be scared to death that new laws will impact their faith. Nonsense! Our religious freedom has nothing to do, does not depend in the least, on what any court in the land has to say. While we certainly should be concerned about our nation and the fact that it seems to be moving further and further away from God, that should concern us. The dark forces that cause us to fear are in fact surrounded by the armies of Almighty God. Let's pray like Elijah that our eyes might be opened, that we and others might see the awesome power and grace of God and our mighty Savior. God's grace is powerful, it's real, and it's most powerful, and it's most real when we need it when we use it. Some people just don't know how grace works. They don't know how to use it. It's not practical in their lives. I have had this thing in my toolbox for 40 years. I haven't a clue what it is. You you turn this crank and this thing goes back and forth. It's really quite nice. Sort of satisfying to to do this. Uh, You might ask, well, why do you keep something that, that you don't know what it is? Well, it's a good one. I wouldn't want to throw it away. It's a good one. You you can look at it after service if you like. Sometimes that's the extent of people's understanding about grace. They know grace comes from God, so it must be good. But that's all they understand about God's grace. The Pharisees and the scribes of Jesus' day should have understood God's grace, but they didn't. They just didn't get it. In Luke chapter 15 verse 2 it says, Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Not only did they not understand the wonderful thing that Jesus was doing by bestowing grace on those who needed it most, they themselves couldn't have cared less about easing the burden of sin that people faced. In fact, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, it says of the Pharisees, They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. Not only did they refuse to seek God's grace for what it was, they were unwilling to show it to others. This infuriated Jesus. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells the story of a man who was forgiven an enormous debt. (coughs) But he in turn refused to forgive the debt of of a fellow who owed him a very small amount. That man was shown great grace from the master, but he refused to show that grace to others. And the grace that he was given was taken away. In what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, we all know this, Jesus says, Forgive us of our trespassers as we forgive those who trespass against us. Millions of people will recite that prayer this morning, perhaps right at this very minute, without a clue what they're asking. This is, in fact, the scariest prayer in all the Bible. That we're saying, God, you forgive my sins, but I'm going to make that contract contingent upon how I forgive others. Man, that's a scary thought. Jesus makes it clear that our forgiveness, grace we receive so desperately and so desperately need, is contingent upon our forgiving others. It's contingent upon our radiating God's grace to others. Unfortunately, some today just don't understand that. They refuse to show God's grace to others, particularly those that they consider sinners. They're just like the Pharisees. After all, if we show grace to sinners, don't we take a chance of somebody misconstruing our actions, misconstruing our love and our thoughtfulness and our, and our kindness as, as condoning sin in some fashion? Well, heaven forbid, we wouldn't want that, would we? Better that we revel in our own self-righteousness than to be associated with sinners. Wow, I sure am glad Jesus didn't feel that way. To think that Jesus would lower himself from heaven to save me, to come and get me. If you read in Philippians chapter 2, it says, Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And he did that for me, and he did that for you. And yes, some people did think that Jesus, by associating with sinners, was in some way condoning sin. And they were wrong. Jesus did not let that deter him. Don't let up what others think deter you from doing what's right. It's a sad thing, but I think perhaps one of the reasons that people use this excuse that what they do might be condoned, might be seen as condoning sin, is that they use that as an excuse for withholding God's grace. It's because they just didn't want to show God's grace anyway. It's a sad condition. And when they, people do that, they do that to their own hurt. And that's bad enough. But they also hurt others when they do that. They hurt the church when they do that, and they hurt our Savior when when they do that. Just think how it hurts Jesus when he paid such an awesome price to give us the grace that he does and that we refuse to give from our abundance a little bit to other people. It's got to hurt. The power of God is made manifest in our lives only to the degree that God's grace flows through us to others. Picture an old-time water wheel spinning a grist mill. I'm sure you've seen pictures of that. You may have seen a mill out in the country where the stream flows across the water wheel. The power to turn the mill depends on the flow of water across the wheel. If the flow stops, the power stops. Or think about when you plug in some electrical device, a blender or a mixer or a power drill. The power comes through or from the flow of electricity through the device. There's a path in and there's a path out. A less obvious example brought you here to church this morning. It's your car engine. Power to run your engine, your car engine, comes through the flow of energy. Energy comes in to the engine in the form of fuel. And the engine turns that into power. And we all know that. That's all pretty obvious. But what's less obvious is the fact that after that happens, energy is then radiated out through the radiator. That's in most cases. If energy is not for some reason radiated out, if the radiator stops working, the engine will stop and the power will stop. The bottom line from all of these examples is quite simple. No flow, no go. The same applies to the grace of God. It comes into our lives abundantly, but if we don't in turn radiate it to others, freely and fully, just like God gives it to us, the flow stops and God's power in our lives is nullified. You want to get to heaven? Remember this. No flow, no go. But this is not, as they say, rocket surgery. You all know this. When has the power of God been most evident in your lives? When did you feel the strongest, the most vibrant? When was God's spirit really cooking in your life? I'll bet it was at a time when you were helping others, when you were most sympathetic, when you were most empathetic, most loving, most compassionate, when you were sacrificing for others, in short, when you were most like Jesus. 2 Corinthians was read a little while ago, verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, For what purpose? So that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Perhaps you're not experiencing God's power in your life or you've been through situations where the power seems to be turned off or weak. Perhaps you don't know what's going on, you're puzzled by this. Are you withholding the grace of God from others for any reason? Did God give us reasons that that he would withhold grace? Only one, that he would withhold grace if we withheld grace. Are you showing God's grace to others fully and freely just like Jesus did? Is your self-righteousness getting in the way? Or are you fully trusting in the righteousness that God gives us through his Son? Are you condemning others when you should be leaving that to God? It might be some time. It might be the time to humbly approach God in prayer, recognizing just what he's done for you and how low he stooped to come down to our level and how much he loves us. First Peter 5 verse 5 says God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We mustn't let our pride get in the way. You know if we're lacking in God's grace, the word itself gives us a prescription the right prescription. Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's all about going to God. It's all about keeping God first. May God's wonderful grace abound in our lives, and may the world see God's glory and power and love through his amazing grace as it flows through us out into the world that needs it so desperately. We come into contact with God's wonderful grace when we clothe ourselves with Christ. Galatians 3.27 tells us that we come into contact with that, that we put Christ on in baptism. If you need to do that, or if you need the prayers of the congregation, or if there's anything else that we can do for you today, please come and let your needs be known as together we stand and sing.